I've got two legends in the camera world here today, Jordan and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I haven't had you together for a long time, but great to see your faces. Yeah, it's great to be back. Have we ever been together? This is exciting. I, I don't know if we have. Oh, yeah. wait. Have you I not been together? Oh, maybe that's possible. Yeah. And <laughs> Chris has been on less, but you're on like super early. That was the first biggest episode was, was Chris's one, which was about like how to, how to pick a camera, which is a big question that maybe I should deal with more often than I do. Well, then we can loosely apply legend, I guess. <laughs> well, loosely. Yes. Uh, we'll, so we'll circle around to camera choices later, but if you're, uh, if their names or faces aren't familiar enough, if you happen to be watching video, Chris and Jordan come from, well, first the camera store TV now for the past, what, five years. Is that about right? They've been doing yeah, DP pretty much. Review we TV. almost hit five years with DP review. Almost. And now you can be found at Petapixel. So, um, there's a few things I want to talk about here. Obviously, it's a big moment for your guys' career, so I want to find out a little bit about what you have been doing, what you will be doing. Um, but first and foremost, I just want to you know take a moment to pour one out for DP Review, um, and maybe I'll also air some of my grievances. I don't know if you can air yours, but about losing what I, I really think is one of the uh, the best websites on the internet, like. It's not just about the camera community to me. Losing DP review is it, it's just it's representative of what the internet can be. It's sort of like the best of the internet. You've got um, an active, real human community of users that love reading the site. You've got very well educated um, and thoughtful writers reviewing cameras, um, and you know very high quality samples like databases of information that are you can't find them anywhere else. And it took 25 years to put all this together and um, I'm sad it's gone. So I, I don't know, maybe Jordan, if you could start by telling me, you know, what's, what, what are the feelings you got uh, losing DP review? I mean, that website means so much to me. Like I would not be, you know, making a photography show if I hadn't been able to, you know, very quickly absorb a whole lot of information. Uh, when I first got started in the photo biz, like I started at a camera store, I didn't know anything. So I just lived on DP review. Uh, so it's huge for me. And it's still, you know, when I wake up out of habit, I just, you know, like throw open Twitter and Instagram and DP review and see what's up this morning. You know, like that is kind of one of my daily sites that I always drop into, you know, just to see, you know, if there's anything exciting going on, even though, you know, now that I work for them, I have an idea when articles are coming up, but see what's exciting on the forums, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, been a part of my life, that website for the longest time, well before I ever started working there. This is a big part of what I mean of like why this is a unique thing to lose. How many websites do we go to each day? So much of the content that we create has been sort of siphoned off onto platforms because they can, they can give us the audience, right? The promise of Instagram is that you can get more followers on TikTok, You can blow up Twitter will, you know, get you the retweets and the engagement and all these things have like tickled us all so much to lure us away from writing our own blogs or building our own websites. There's a lot less people that are doing it these days because it's more challenging. It's harder to build a business on it as well. So. DP review was one of the few URLs I would type into my browser and go to the website. Uh, you know, there's like them and the verge. That's that, that that's almost been it for a few years now of, I go to the website to find out what's going on. Um, and in the time of, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm tying every conversation back to AI right now, but right now we're about to have a lot of computer written content flooding the internet. 
we need human written content more than ever. And we're about to lose a, a nice chunk of it. So I don't know, Chris, yeah. what do you think? Well, I mean, I think first off, a lot of people are talking about deep your view in a nostalgic sense, right? When we first made the change, we heard this stuff, this news coming out. I think that's what everybody was responding to. And, and rightfully so. A lot of people were hurt. They were kind of lost. They're like, what am I going to do next? But also, as you just said, the big thing for me with Deep Review has been the people that work there. You know, I mean, you know about the website, but when you start actually working with the team, you realize like this is a collection of incredibly talented people. You know, we have people who are scientists. We have people who are, you know, doing work, as we say, like, you know, comparing cameras and they know their stuff. We have people that are getting into the smartphone industry early and, and starting to talk about those. And so it was such a talented group of people. I think that is what's made it so special. Um, and talented photographers and people just working so hard every day to make that such a powerful resource. So that's a huge loss, I think. But as you say, that's also made it so great. It was, it was a bunch of humans doing uh, heartfelt, passionate work. Yeah, and historically too, like like you said, Tyler, no one else has a database like that studio scene. You know, like other websites like Imaging Resource have done some comparison tools and stuff, but nothing that goes back that far. You know, when people are looking at the early days of digital photography, which historians are going to do at some point, this is going to be the best resource for that. And a lot of the tools aren't going to work if it's just, you know, backed up on the Wayback Machine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I know you guys still have a few more days there, so I'll, I'll do, I'll do the bad mouthing for you and just, please <laughs> just say like, I just, I think this is, this is wrong. Like this is a bad thing to do. Um, I can fully understand, uh, how Amazon who I, I think a lot of people only realized that Amazon, uh, had been owning DP review for a while now. Um, a lot of people didn't even know that, but I can see how it's not in their interest to run what is a really a niche website. You know, it's not, Cameras aren't the biggest market in the world. It's not a billion dollar industry. Well, I don't know if it's a billion. I don't know how big of an industry it is, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not a place that, that I, they're not going to massively explode. Like DP reviews size is the, the best you could hope for. It's going to be a steady, stable business that seems like it could run indefinitely. I don't know, but whatever the case, it doesn't deserve to disappear. And Amazon runs the biggest web hosting company on the planet. Most websites are hosted on AWS. First of all, there's no reason they couldn't just keep alive what is already there or really let somebody take over. I'm sure even if it was community run, even if it gradually fell apart because it couldn't be maintained, but that there was some opportunity for someone to keep this moving forward. I, it just, it's, it's so wasteful. And I, I still, I still want to like clarify what I was touching on earlier with the whole AI issue. So if anybody hasn't seen, um, CNET, huge blog, another like one of the few, or not blog, I mean, publication, internet publication, one of the few other like destination websites, people go to CNET has been writing a lot more using AI. So just like generative text without a human behind it. And they have also laid off a lot of writers lately. They've been shrinking their staff. And this is partly because it has become really easy to create text uh, using a computer. All of that text is using human sources. If if I ask chat GPT, like, tell me, you know, what is the best point and shoot camera in 2023? Its source is going to be DP review that was, you know, written by humans. If those humans go away, where is it going to be gathering that info? It's going to be like gathering it from other link farm garbage websites that are just 
cashing in on like these little micro transactions, like punch, punch the monkey ads and, uh, are basically spam sites that are probably being written by chat GPT, just using the info off of the back of the camera box. I mean, we're going to lose the high quality information that would be the source of any of these new writing technologies. So, I mean, it's just, if this continues to happen with all expert websites, it will be, it will be so damaging to the whole internet. So this shouldn't happen. I don't know. That was my big rant. <laughs> am, I, am I right? No, you're absolutely right. Like, and especially for all those people at DP review, you know, a lot of them don't know where they're going after this. So, you know, this is my call out to everybody. You know, if you need skilled technical writers, like these are the best. And you know, this is our, our one last stand against chat GPT. <laughs> Well, I just, you know, deep your view, like we're lowly contractors, right? So we're only privy to so much information. But from what I understand, you know, I, I think there's an assumption in the photo market that like, oh, photography's dead. This is a victim of, you know, a failed business. But actually, deep your view is doing, as far as I understand, quite well, you know, and modernizing. We had a whole bunch of like young people. I mean, just the fact they brought Jordan and I on, that's, I mean, so incredible, right? Incredible I mean, youth. Oh, yes. So huge, much youth. Right? <laughs> but, you know, we're old, but they were bringing on like young people and like, you know, fresh perspectives, really interesting writers, you know, doing TikTok stuff, uh, changing the way that they share their content. So they were really doing a, a really good job of modernizing. I don't think there was anything about it that was stagnant. It was really fresh. It was really doing well. So that, like you say, Tyler, is a big loss because that's exactly what we need is just new, fresh writing and new ideas and uh, and many different kinds of markets, having YouTube, having TikTok, having the articles and deep review is that. So I just think they were doing a great job making a resource that many people could enjoy, not just our generation of people. Part of the challenge, too, is that it, you know, it probably ended up in that situation because it was so successful because because DP review was so well run and such high quality content. That's why it was acquired. Like Amazon was interested in it because they knew it was good because it was doing something special. There are many photography, you know, like I say, blogs out there that are more casually run, a little less systematic about how they do things. And this was really an exception. So that's why it was acquired. And that's also why we're losing it. I mean, it it just all feels crazy and it's at a moment that it also makes it feel like an omen of, of like, is this the future we have with internet content? I sure hope not. I'm very curious to know how, how much Amazon expected uh, with the backlash on this, like, you know, people being so hurt and feeling lost. I honestly, I'm curious. There's not going to be enough backlash. I mean, I, What's something I just floated on Twitter, but I know will not go anywhere is like, I wish that the photo community would rally around like, okay, well, we're not going to post affiliate links to cameras until you do something with DP review. Uh, we're going to be using B and H affiliates or, you know, I, but the thing is that's a big sacrifice for individual people to make. I, I don't have a ton of Amazon affiliate income, so it actually wouldn't be a big sacrifice for me, but I've already kind of done it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it just, it's go. We're going to lose something and there won't be a big revolt to keep it. And that's, that's sad to me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of holding my breath that because the big outcry has been over losing the information. Mm -hmm. I hope it just makes Amazon, you know, take a breath and reevaluate archiving. I mean, I don't know if everyone's going to keep their job. I'm very skeptical of that. <laughs> I mean, we're certainly moving on. 
But uh, just find somebody to maintain the database, I think, would be great. I do think it is even worse because even if the database stays up, which is good for historical reasons, keeping some minimal infrastructure of how does how the tests are done so that you can continue on using the same standards that they have in the past, like that that test chart continues to be set up in some warehouse somewhere so that somebody can put the new lenses and cameras on and keep pressing the shutter button and keep uploading to it. You know, it's re nobody's going to be able to rebuild that archive of tests, right? So even if somebody is able to restart, well, I mean, people do, there are other test websites that are building their own archives, you know, on the, on the video side, I'm glad to see that Cine D is, uh, you know, starting to build a similar archive of tests for video cameras, but nobody's going to be able to go back and historically bring that together with the, the past tests. So I don't know. It's sad, but I, I, I don't want to spend all episode on it. Um, maybe, maybe you guys can tell me a little bit more about what you're going to be shifting into in the future. Petapixel has been lucky enough to pick you guys up. Um, tell me about that move. It's been great so far. I mean, of course, we've known the, the people behind it for a long time. We've known the chief editor for, I don't know, what, a decade, Jordan? I yeah. mean, a long time. So, you know, and that's why we start Deep Your View is really just the friendships that you develop when you meet these people and, you know, camaraderie and understanding that you guys have similar ideas. But Petapixel has been so good in that moving forward, they're giving us a lot of freedom. They're giving us a lot of leeway. They're letting us, you know, take risks. So I think that's great. And also their push is a bit maybe more other tech as well as photography. And I think that's always a good move in today's world. So yeah, I find that aspect very exciting. Yeah. I think it's always just, you know, a fresh start makes you reevaluate some things like the structure of the episodes and that. And, you know, I can't say too much at this point because um, there's, you know, embargoed things and stuff like that. But uh, we do have some episodes that are taking on a pretty new format, certainly are going to feel a little bigger than what we did at DP review in some cases. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But the main thing is like, we wanted to keep making our show, you know, we weren't looking to like dramatically alter the DNA of everything. It's still going to be, you know, Chris having very strong opinions and being snarky and me pushing back against the snark. <laughs> and that's been our dynamic for a decade. More importantly, it is still going to be lots of Alberta in the springtime where all the trees are dead and everything's brown and the grass is yellow. So I want everybody to know that's safe. You know, the everything else we're losing, brown and white colors. Safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, that's totally. our version of a studio test scene is like, yeah. how does brown gray Alberta look yeah. um, compared to 12 years ago? Because you're still going to see still bad? Okay. You're still going to see downtown. You know, you're still going to see all that stuff. That's all staying. Don't worry. I mean, I guess the funny thing, I just should remind people we're doing, we're doing this recording remotely, but we're all in the same city, which is very rare. Like we're... Uh, the surprising little community of, you know, photo tech uh, YouTubers that are all in Calgary because there's not that many here. So um, I don't know if anybody didn't know that uh, it's we, I, I mean, I, our history, like me and you guys is go back to the beginning of both of our channels, almost to the for, first Fuji X100, I think was my first cameo on your guys's channel. And yeah, and that was one of our first maybe like 12 videos or something like that. That was early, early. And it is. It is bad, and I don't recommend finding that video. It was cold, video. too. That was cold. It was I painful, mean, yeah. That was horribly, horribly cold that day. Yeah, painful to make and painful to watch. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> That's but our no, secret. where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's great that your guys' show is going to you know, continue. I think anybody that, uh, it, you know, their primary format of deep review might have been through you guys is probably in the best position right now because 
you know, things will change a lot less than obviously if they're, uh, mostly reading reviews, which I did both. So it's, it's, it's going to sting for me, but, uh, definitely glad you guys are going to be carrying on. Well, and we're going to be writing some of the reviews for uh, Petapixel as well. So uh, there will still be some written stuff for that. And we will bring all that we have learned from the TV review yeah. staff over and there. We haven't been replaced by AI bots yet, but if there's a way to make my hair look more black or something, that'd be awesome. Like I'd totally go for an AI filter, but it's heart still beating in here for a little bit longer. Well, okay. Um, I'm very glad to hear all that. We also have a new camera to talk about. Uh, I, I got hands-on with it. And it was. It turned out to be a lot more exciting than I actually expected because I didn't know what was going to be announced. And I had a rough sense that it was going to be in the, you know, kind of consumer camera line. So I'm like, oh, you know, entry level, whatever. I, I think this turned out to be a lot bigger than I expected. So Sony announced the ZV E1. You guys have had hands-on time with it. Um, I don't know. Chris, how do you describe it? The camera sucks, right? Because, uh, (laughs) no, no, it's, you know, if you look at it from a photographic standpoint, and that's always how we've done our show, right? Is I'm looking at it from photo side, Jordan's looking at it from video side. There's not much to love, you know? I mean, obviously a lower resolution sensor compared to what's contemporary, no EVF, you know, it does have excellent autofocus though, absolutely. Um, And I like the handling, it was fine, but you're back to the two dials that can only be controlled by one finger, which is effectively to me one dial when it really comes down to it. So in that regard, I can't love it, but um, you know, at the same time, and I think I wanna, we're gonna probably talk about this, you know, what do creators really need nowadays as far as image quality goes? If you are putting things on Instagram and if you are putting things on, um, you know, Snapchat and stuff like that, like what do you, TikTok, what do you really need as far as image quality iPhone. goes? <laughs> iPhone, yeah, right? So yeah. in that regard, I think it does make a lot of sense given what the camera's mandate is. But as a photographic tool, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's okay. not for you uh, because no, you have me. That's okay, the Jordan, thing, Chris. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. But is it I mean, even for Jordan? This is an interesting conversation. Okay, like, okay, I yeah. think it's for Tyler. Is it for Jordan? I want to hear. I mean, in some ways, yeah. Like, it is really cool to get that sensor at a very low cost. You know, an A7S III was what? 3,800 US. You know, an FX3 was more than that, I believe. Um so you get a very fast scanning sensor, and that's been our big, you know, the theme where we're seeing all these budget vlogging cameras come out after the last few years has been like, the rolling shutter is so bad, you can't walk with this camera. So it kind of, you know, sucks in that regard. They have fixed it with this. It's a very fast reading sensor. You get full width 4K60. The baffling thing to me is like, it has a lot of really cool features like new stabilization mode where it'll maintain your composition while stabilizing, uh, you know, that live punch in so you can get like multiple, uh, recording frames while you're shooting. Um, but all of those are relying on cropping a sensor that's barely 4k to start with. That's why I'm kind of confused with this camera a little bit. Uh, you know, it's a 12 megapixel sensor. By the time you're shooting 16 by nine, it's 8.4 megapixels. We crop it anymore. We're below 4k and we're upsampling everything. And you could say that like, you know, theoretically, but when I was editing the ZV E1 video, every time we had, you know, the high end stabilization or the, um, live comp, live composite, what the, compensation adjustment where it's uh, reframing for you, it looks noticeably worse. Uh, And it's pretty cool what Sony's done where it's very smoothly, it's almost applying a curve to the sharpening, um, but it is still super over sharpened video once you start going into any of those crop modes. I mean, you saw the footage too, Tyler. What did you think? 
Well, I'm probably more positive than either of you. It sounds like, um, so maybe Chris, right. <laughs> this is the one for me. Um, <clears throat> those, this is really a camera that can be for two compl- like very different people. Uh, Sony's idea of what this is, is primarily entry level, right? Like this is your first amazing camera. This is your first full frame maybe. Um, and you want to be able to shoot no compromise image quality for a very reasonable price with something that can easily fit inside your bag. And maybe you don't understand all of the more technical details about what an a7S III or an FX3 can do for you. So it's going to handle some of that for you, offer more automation, offer more AI assistance. And I think in those situations, you're right, Jordan, about the image quality being somewhat degraded, but it, it doesn't matter that much to me because I think anybody using those, they've already made some compromises. They're probably not shooting in S log. They're probably shooting without an ND filter. Like they're not at peak image quality. They're at the type of image quality that actually doesn't matter for a lot of YouTubers. Like a lot of, a lot of content creators that are, um, you know, in, in the genre of either how a TikTok story is told or the way that Mr. Beast would record a video that like precision image quality is not what's most important to them. And I do think all these AI tools are going to do a great job for that kind of use case. The one you mentioned of where it, so if anybody hasn't heard what one thing it could do is identify your face and track you through the scene, which we've seen, we've seen that on like lower end, uh, like live stream cameras before, uh, or, you know, even webcams that Apple's been making like, uh, in iPads and the, um, uh, studio studio display. It'll, as you move around through the frame, it'll track you and I, have not found that useful on any of those. I don't think it's going to be very useful on the Sony. I think it's a bit of a gimmick, but that stronger stabilization I do think is useful. Even if the image isn't quite as good, it's definitely good enough for 90% of use cases. And the stabilization does really work by cropping in so much. It's able to get rid of any of the wobble in the corners. So I'd recommend getting an extremely wide lens for this. So you have that you you're predicting like, okay, this will crop. So I'm ready for it. And then the other person who this is, camera is for is someone like me that I would think about this as getting, as being an amazing backup camera is an amazing second camera in my bag. So, uh, you know, right now I'm not using Sony as my primary, but if I had, let's say an FX three and I'm sh- shooting a wedding, I'm shooting a travel video, I'm shooting corporate video, whatever. I've got that fully kitted out FX three with like a big 24 to 70 and everything's big and chunky around it. I need another camera in my bag. And I want it to be able to shoot in a matching image that looks the same, that can function in all the same ways. And it's that, that camera is tiny. And the only real compromise you'd have in a professional situation, other than some like physical dials or smaller and stuff is it is much more likely to overheat because there's no big fan inside. So I can, I can absolutely see this being like a, an amazing thing to just throw in your bag. Cause it's half the size, I'm not quite, but almost half the size of some of these other cameras, but can still shoot the, you know, 10 bit S log three, um, you know, uh, 4k with, uh, you know, 4k 60, 4k 120 is their firmware update. I believe, um, it's, it like, it packs it all in and it seems like the only real compromise is overheating, which is because because of the size. So that's a physical choice. It's not, um, it's not because they made a cheap camera. It's because they decided to make it smaller. So I don't know. That's my take on it. I think Sony is incredibly smart actually making this camera. And it's interesting too. I think we've seen now for a couple other cameras before this, that they're kind of experimenting with this idea of 
using cropping, not just for stabilization, but to correct breathing, for example, in lenses, right? And now uh, creative compositions and tracking and, and making it easy for somebody who's by themselves. If they don't have a Jordan, what are they going to do, right? If you don't have a Jordan, what are you going to do? So I really like that. Uh, I, th I think it's very intelligent. And yeah, the downside is you lose image quality, but I feel like we're getting into an era where people aren't as concerned about image quality or, or depending on what you're doing, when the story that you're trying to tell is more important. I would love to know how many people are watching YouTube in 4K right now, because I bet that number has gotten a lot smaller since they started doing those like defaulting to the smaller resolutions, you really have to click the button on every video and tell it like, no, I want to see this 4K, 4K. You have to remind it over and over. And I think not many people are as persistent about that as I am. So I think a lot more people are also already watching in lower resolutions. I think we see it from a different perspective because we're talking about image quality. So when we see our stats, it's like, oh yeah, a lot of people are still watching it on a computer or a TV, but that's solely because of the topic that we're covering. You know, if we were doing travel logs, I bet that number would be a third or a quarter of what it is. What are you actually shooting on right now is your main YouTube camera. Uh, so we, I'm primarily using the uh, Panasonic S5 II, which I know you've shot with a lot. Um, and yeah, as I get to use it more and more, I'm really loving that camera. I still want it in a more professional body. i still, I find it really easy to accidentally bump dials and stuff like that uh, compared to an S1H or a GH6. But I mean, just the combination of the video quality and the autofocus that's now usable in a pinch, I think it's, it's really a killer camera. Uh, I am curious, actually, I wanted to know, Tyler, is this the first time you've used a Sony camera with S Cinetone? Uh, it is. That's actually what I shot everything with. Uh, I didn't flip into um, S Log 3 during this trip. So I've seen S Log 3 a lot more. Um, this was my first S Cinetone and I didn't like it. <laughs> I, um, like not at all. I, I, you know, in it, <clears throat> right now I'm sitting in a studio with a light in front of me and a light behind me and everything's very controlled. And in this situation, I'm sure it looks great. Like in studio controlled, sure. Outside any non log profile, I, it, the highlights clip too soon for my taste. Like it's just much too aggressive in like what it's willing to throw away in terms of dynamic range. The only camera that I think is getting this right to me is Fuji that seems to be doing this like live dynamic range recovery thing. It's like, Oh, those are hot. Those are hot highlights. I will bring them down as I record and give you a bit of a tone mapped image in camera. Um, I don't really see anybody else doing that. And that's the new minimum for me. I need, I, I, it looks broken when those highlights disappear to my eye. And, um, you know, especially because even the, I did a little Instagram reel showing off the camera recording myself using the, uh, uh, Z, <laughs> ZV E1. Um, and I was, when I looked at the footage afterwards, I was looking at it next to when I shot myself the, the phone and I'm like, well, everything is clipped. The sky is blue on my phone. The sky is white on the Sony. I am at, it is a compromised image. It does. It looks worse on the Sony because I'm shooting in that baked in profile. I can't recover the highlights. The thing that makes these larger sensor cameras look better than phones is that there's like a, there's sort of a softness to the tone roll off the, you know, there's less, um, the, the, the way that highlights come back down is less fake and artificial looking than a tone mapped iPhone image, and it has less additional sharpening. So if I'm not getting those benefits, I might as well use my phone. So um, I still much prefer the S-Log3. And 
I'd love to see, I'd love to see everybody take an approach that's closer to Fuji's. I mean, I've said this in a few different places, but it's insane to me that all of these camera companies have not hired the, the colorists that are making like the LUTs and the power grades that YouTubers are using and, and sharing and talking about that. Like they're selling power grades and LUTs for like 50 to a hundred dollars each that look amazing. It's like, no, now my Sony footage, now this S log three does kind of look like film. It looks very nice. It is mapped into all the right places. We've compressed this wide range of S log three into a, a more usable rec 709. And it looks kind of filmic but you have to go seek this out on your own afterwards. If you buy any of these very expensive cameras, none of it can be baked into your image as you're shooting, except on Fuji. And even in that case, it's, you know, I think they could do a little bit better with what some of those colors are. It's really, it's strange to me that, that nobody has like brought this to get this experience that it was like when we would shoot film where it's like, look, I don't know anything about color grading. I just want it to look nice. Can my camera just output it to be pretty? I don't know. I rented for that a long time. What do you, what do you think about Cinetone. The reason I asked you specifically about um, the Cinetone profile is because we've been burned on that profile so many times um, because it is retaining some information in the highlight, but not all the color information. So, uh, you know, we're so often when we're shooting with S-Log2, you know, like let's expose it nice and bright without clipping the highlights. If you do that with Cinetone, you'll wash everyone's face out and it'll look atrocious. Uh, so that's why I was, I was curious about asking that because I do like S Cinetone in controlled lighting now that I know how to work for it. But, uh, even with the camera and its auto exposure modes, you know, which are designed to help people get used to filmmaking for the first time, like that new cinema mode where it switches it to S Cinetone at 24 frames per second auto exposure. Uh, once it jumps over there, then it's defaulting to totally clipping those highlights. You know, if you've got lighter skin, you're going to have a terrible looking image. So I totally agree with you. And I do think for a straight out of camera, non-log profile, uh, Fujifilm Eterna is still the best thing out there at this point. But yeah, there needs to be more work done on it. Well, and to me, it's actually, I, Eterna is the appropriate comparison. I mean, it's trying to do the similar thing to s Tone, but it's not the one that I loved them. I mean, the thing, the little rant I just had was more referring to like the actual film emulation, like the stronger film emulations where it's like putting a look in there. Um, I did, I didn't love Eterna as much either. I, I didn't, I basically just like did my quick test with it and I'm like, well, all these other ones look nicer. And if I'm going to shoot Eterna, I need to grade it anyway. So why wouldn't I use F log? And especially now that we've got F log two, which is amazing right like flog one was like fine it's kind of like canon log it's like okay it's kind it's log ish but flog two is great you know like you can really push that as far as you want so um yeah now that i've got that it's just like if i need to if i need to add a let on top in the end i might as well go all the way from flog two yeah I'm, i go flog to do a conversion to a turner uh, and then I find it very easy to uh, grade and get like a, a lovely image. But it seems like that still recovers more highlights. Absolutely. Than just shooting a turner. Okay. So Tyler, then this brings me with the ZVE1 to another thing I want to discuss with you because I am constantly informed that I'm in the minority here. Um, electronic viewfinders for shooting video. Where do you set? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. I, I definitely re really did miss that. Inst I actually kept just putting the camera up to my face which does nothing. Um, you just can't see anything cause there's nothing to look into. And that, that wasn't great. Uh, so, you know, I would miss that if that was, if it was my 
primary camera. I would definitely miss having an, an electronic EVF. So I, they've kind of become necessary for me, uh, especially just shooting outside. Um, none of the LCDs are really bright enough to like really tell what you're shooting. Um, so I do find that I need to, you know, keep checking inside of a little eyepiece to, to know what's up. Um, it doesn't need to be super high quality to me. Uh, what was the older Sony that had the, the pop-up EVF that, Oh, um, the, uh, RX 100 series. Yes. I love that. Like I, I would take a little compromise EVF, like, you know, fi find a way to cram it in there. That'd be really nice. I understand that this is a different kind of camera. You know, they're trying to save money everywhere they can. And so that makes sense, right? Like I, I get that they cut it, but for a camera I'm going to choose to use all the time, I, I would still like it to be there. Um, but it, uh, it does, it actually doesn't need to be like the highest image quality to me. I, uh, in terms of when I'm shooting video, it's like, for me, it's more about like checking when I'm in a bright environment, I'm going to look into it briefly, but most of the time I'll actually be using the, uh, screen on the back. So yeah, I found it really weird that it has the new, their new active shoe with support for like four channel XLR audio and stuff. And they used to have a clip on electronic viewfinder for some of their old, like, I like NEX series cameras. I would love to see that make a comeback. Same thing going on with Canon and Fujifilm. All of them are now releasing these more powerful shoes that can provide phantom power and send in you know, multiple audio inputs, things like that. And they're not using them for an electronic viewfinder. It just seems like madness to me. Uh, so I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I think you're right. I just, um, I actually, I, there's something handy, but also sometimes frustrating with that, uh, shoe dependent interface. And I've been running into it with the S five two using that XLR adapter. So I've, uh, I've, I really liked the new, uh, Condor blue cage. You know, I did a video of like rigging up the S five two with that, but once it's on, I can't use the XLR adapter. So then there's no convenient way to send other mics into the camera. Um, because it relies on that it needs to go into the hot shoe. There's no other way for it to communicate. I can't put it in a cold shoe and run some cables or anything like that. Cause it even, it takes power through it as well. Yeah. Um, so that really kind of like limits what you can do compared to, um, if it was just a more, you know, a dumb shoe. Um, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. I'd love to see, I'm surprised no one is doing like hot shoe extensions for those. Cause that's something yes. we used to see in older, you know, camcorders and stuff all the time was a little cable. So you could, or even, you know, your off camera shoe cords for photographers. I'm, I'm really surprised they haven't done a first party version of that. Exactly. I think it's possible, but it's, I, I just haven't wanted to go to the trouble of trying to make it work. I, I, you know, I think it'd be a hard time finding the right cable and stuff. So, um, it's not what I'm using, but yeah, I don't know. Any other like last thoughts on the ZV-E1? Do you? Um... So it's not. It's not for me, but I think it's going to be incredibly popular, right? Like, and that's something that I really struggle with when we're doing our review. Is all of these features I'm rattling off? I'm like, there's, you know, like that weird two, three, five to one aspect ratio. That's actually sixteen by nine video. I'm like, that's madness. But for most people who grab this, they're going to be like, ooh, I like the black bars. That's cool. Like, it, it's not. It's not for me, and. Yeah, I can I think it's going to be the most probably the most more popular than the ZVE10 their APS-C version. Like I think it's a more successful camera than that. Uh so I think it's going to do extremely well, which will further prove that I'm a little bit out of touch. But when I'm reviewing a product, I just want to make sure everyone is aware of all the compromises as much as possible before they pick something up. And a lot of the compromises aren't going to matter for the core demographic for this, but I still feel like 
it's important, especially for people like you mentioned, who might be grabbing this as a, you know, secondary backup camera to understand what those compromises might be. Yeah, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. I also just want to touch on, um, emphasize one more time how good of a job I think Sony's doing with this AI stuff and that this is what will keep their lead. Because as Panasonic started making their announcements, I was like, oh, Panasonic's coming up like pretty hot. The, pr the price of the S5 II compared to what you'd get in a Sony, I'm like, I don't know, like that, that's pretty appealing. How is Sony going to maintain their... Because again, talking about video cameras, it's between Sony and Panasonic to me right now. Canon uh, only is in the higher, in the cinema cameras. They're more compact ones, just don't even compete right now. So yeah, to me, it was like, okay, FX3 versus S5 two and you get so much more for the for the money but the ai stuff can really keep sony ahead especially the autofocus tools where it can detect okay this is the person i'm filming so only autofocus on them as an individual obviously panasonic's not anywhere near that they're not adding an ai chip into the next camera that's announced and uh that will you, you know continue I, that could become a thing where if you get used to that functionality on a sony and you're like oh like it just it like it works way better if you know it worked better before and now it works another generational leap it'll keep a bit of that gap between sony and panasonic that was there in the last generation as well the difference will be this time panasonics are usable so i do want to kind of push back on sony's use of ai and everything right now because the camera is not learning like you can say hey this person here i would like to identify them as a primary subject and it'll do a nice job of following those but panasonic had a similar thing back with like the GH2, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago. Uh, Sony's just drawing from a huge machine learning database in order to make this work. But yeah, the phrase AI kind of drives me crazy because it's like, if I'm photographing or filming my dog all the time, is it going to get better at photographing or filming my dog? No, it's, it's not. It's just drawing from a, yeah, a big machine learning database, which is great because it means other camera companies can catch up. I mean, when we start seeing actual AI cameras that, you know, are like, oh, Jordan's filming this. So we are going to put this in vlog. He likes his audio peaking at about minus 12 dB, you know, and gets to actually know the operator in a similar way to like uh, what the DJI Ronins are doing right now, where it learns how you walk and move and the stabilization gets better over time. When we start seeing stuff like that in stills and video cameras, that's going to be incredibly compelling. And I do think Sony has a leg up in the resources to make that work. All right. Let's talk about what I've been thinking of as like battle of the brands, a bit of an update of like, where are we with camera brands right now? Um, I, you know, I think Sony and Panasonic are, are the ones to pick at the moment for small video cameras. I still love my Canon for photos. Let's kind of go through, uh, just the basic list of like which, which brands exists and what would you choose them for? What are their strong points? And what are their weak points right now in 2023? Um, I don't know. I don't know where to start. So maybe we'll start with Canon because it's what I talk about the most. Where are we with Canon photos right now? I think Canon's done a great job of improving their autofocus capabilities, right? I mean, Sony's always the gold standard that we've been kind of trying to chase for years now. And so I would say Canon is probably my second favorite as far as autofocusing goes, you know, the eye detect, the intuitiveness of the, of the camera, it's wildlife capabilities for animal detect. Um, I think that's, that's probably second best. I do still love the handling of the cameras. 
I think uh, lens-wise, they could we could stand to see a few more optical formulas come out. But I do like the body design overall. I like the autofocus. I think they're doing a good job that way. And I always love using my R5. I think you also have one, Tyler? Yeah, that's right. Uh, R5 is still my go-to for work that needs resolution. Like if it's commercial work, if it's going to be printed, or uh, you know, I just need all of the image quality I can, I go to the R5. It's, um, it's still in that position for me. Like I try to think about, you know, what would I buy if I had nothing right now? The only thing giving the Canon an edge over Sony at the moment is the usability. I actually think like the Sony a seven R five is the better camera, you know, uh, it's probably a little bit better sensor, probably a little bit better autofocus, but physically just operating the dials, getting it to the settings that I want. I still prefer Canon for that. And that's enough reason for me to keep choosing it over Sony, even if like tech, the technical details aren't quite on the same level. It's interesting to see though, that they've really in last year been pushing so many more entry level models and fleshing out their lineup. And at first, like, especially playing with the APS-C cameras, like the R7, R10, I was like, I'm going to hate these. They're automatically going to be toys. I'm going to think they're garbage. Um, and actually using them again, it's that usability, the, the body design, the lightweight. I've had a really good experience using them. I have said publicly that the A7R5 is, in my opinion, my favorite camera that I've used as far as technical performance goes. And like you say, capabilities overall, the sensor capability. But yeah, I still really enjoy using the Canons. I think they're doing a great job making bodies that people actually enjoy shooting photography with. Yeah. I haven't tried any of the APS-C ones, but I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but okay, Jordan, so where are we with Canon video shooting right now? I totally agree with you, Tyler, that like their specs are great on paper. I just don't like shooting video with them and I don't like editing the video that comes out of them, you know, especially C-Log3 footage. Uh, Chris will attest, you know, flying back from a Canon event, I'm just like, all right, now I get to try and get vaguely workable skin tones for a little while here. Like, you know, I understand the argument that like, look, the camera doesn't have enough dynamic range to work to justify C-Log2, but the color on C-Log3 is bad and annoying, and I don't like the noise pattern and the shadows and stuff like that. I don't love working with it. And then it's just the absolute basics that we've been saying for years. Like, why does my level go away when I'm recording? Why does my histogram go away while I'm rolling? Why, when I shoot slow motion, does it go back to 1080 60p on every camera when I leave slow motion mode? Like, that makes absolutely no sense. So uh, it's basic usability that they're not taking seriously. The sensor performance is good. Like that little R8 is $1,500 and gets you uncropped 4K60, uh, you know, less money than that ZVE1 we were just talking about. But I don't like using them, so it's tougher for me to recommend them. But for photography, they're great. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, obviously, eventually we'll get to what we think are kind of the best hybrids because I don't think any of us would choose a Canon right now. It's just like the, you know, what, the, the camera that can do everything. Um, I, I want to make sure, though, that I still clarify, like, I think the Canon C70 has the best, the best video image quality f for, you know, under $15,000, basically. Like, it punches above its weight. Nothing can touch it still. Uh, the only compromise is it's not, it's visibly not that sharp, which is sort of weird because it's like everything's 4K and everything should be sharp right now. And it's a native 4K camera at 4K. It doesn't look as sharp as other cameras. Um, but you know, uh, that is worth it to me because the, the sensor just gathers so much data. Shooting C log two on it is incredibly flexible. C70 and the, you know, the other modern Canon cinema cameras are still 
my favorites in that price range, but it's all of those more compact ones that I, I just don't think are up to snuff when it comes to video. Uh, next up, the big contender for top dog is Sony. Um, obviously they've been pushing hard. If we had recorded this 10 years ago, we just wouldn't have brought Sony up. Like I, you know, nobody I knew shot Sony for a long time. So their comeback has been incredible. Um, and you know, I think they deserve the, I, I think they're second place in terms of sales. Like they absolutely, um, deserve the growth that they've had. So I guess let's start with photography again. What do we think of Sony right now? Uh, I love that they're revamping their line of lenses and I think they've done a great job with that. You know, we've just recently seen them change their 2.8 uh, zooms and in a very positive way. So that was great. Uh, what's not to love about the cameras other than they're kind of soulless. They're not really sexy, but they just, they work, right? They focus beautifully. I still don't think anybody can touch them. You know, companies are coming close to, to mimicking their photo capabilities, their focus capabilities, but nobody has a handle still on just the sort of fire and forget capability of their autofocus where you just shoot and it just works and it seems to anticipate you even in its default modes there's not a lot of tinkering that has to be done i think that's a really good gateway for people that are trying to get into photography it takes it takes a lot of the the fear out handling wise i you know with the new menus the body designs i don't really complain about the handling like a lot of people used to i think a lot of people still are you guys agreeing or no, not? I'm just looking at your know. tiny hands that justifies that. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I, I find photographically, I find the handling is fine now. I don't really hate it, and maybe that's because we're using new cameras every week, so you kind of just get used to always having a new product in your hand. So, um, I think the sensors again, fantastic image quality. I don't mind the color. They have beautiful black and white mode that people don't appreciate. So really. Yeah, I, 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 the, for whatever reason, when I picked up the A7R5 and I shot it, it just seemed to check all the boxes for me. If I was looking as myself at a camera for photography, that checked so many boxes. And I haven't really had that feeling with other cameras. I think there's been a, a, a branding for a while, a branding problem for Sony that they have the, the bad colors. You know, Canon has beautiful colors. Fuji has beautiful colors. Sony has bad colors. And I think they've done a lot of work on that front. And when it comes to photography, that just has not been very true for a long time. The raw images are infinitely flexible. Um, it's kind of up to the photo editing software that you're going to work with to make sure that it's treating them appropriately. And it's, it's rare that it's an issue. I think like any of the recent Sony's can look fantastic for photography. There's not, there's not a problem there. Um, I think on the other hand, when it comes to video, uh, it was a little more justified, you know, shooting and trying to get S log two to look nice. There was some weird tinting to the skin tones. Like it would just want to go in the wrong direction and you would have to work harder to get it back. I have spent less time shooting, uh, S log three or two on the newest cameras. I know that they're, their color response has been adjusted lately. Sony says that it's better. A lot of people shooting on it say that it's better. And the results that I see from so many of the people that have switched to Sony on YouTube, their footage looks beautiful. It's coming out great. So obviously it's very workable. Um, so I, I don't think that um, that idea of Sony being the, the one with bad colors is is all that important with any of the newer cameras. I don't know, Jordan, am I right? Uh, that's exactly where I'm at. I, I really like working with S-Log3 from the latest batch of cameras. I even like working with S-Cinetone now that I know exactly how it's going to shoot me in the foot while I'm working with it. 
Um, the thing I don't, I mean, and this is something Gerald's been going on a tear about. I don't understand their feature implementation strategy. Like every new camera that comes out, they'll throw all of their new stuff into it. You know, like I love their breathing compensation that they've brought out. I think the A7R5 has the best screen design for video makers of anything on the market right now, but they put that on an A7R5 that's not a great video camera, to be totally honest. And then they bring out an FX30 or a ZVE1 that doesn't have that brilliant implementation. Or they have high-end cameras like the A1, the A7S3, and those cameras aren't getting things like the breathing correction or all of the new features that Sony's putting in, even though we know it's that they've told us it's the same processor, it's the same software, it's the same menu interface. They can do it. Um, that I would find super frustrating. If I bought an A1, I'd be pissed right now. The camera was released previously to the feature being announced. It just doesn't seem to get it in firmware. Um, and Sony was making strides in firmware for a few years when they had buggy cameras that needed work. Now that they're a lot more stable, uh, they're just not getting these feature updates. And I think that's a real shame. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the whole usability of Sony as well to me, uh, maybe the best example I can think of is that, you know, when I picked up the ZV-E1 and it was the first Sony I'd used in at least like six months or something, and I'd kind of forgot what everything is. And I'm looking at the buttons. I'm like, wait a minute, C1, C2, C3, C4, C4. They're all labeled. They have generic labels on them. I'm like, to find out what anything does, I need to just start randomly pressing buttons. And this isn't really an issue with most of the other brands. So this is part of why I think there's like an inherent design philosophy that makes Sony's more challenging because, uh, you know, if I pick up a Panasonic, I had never used one until like pretty recently. And I figured it out really quickly because everything is labeled. The buttons are thicker and press better. Like there is a way to design things so that anybody can understand it more quickly. There's another way to design them. That's a little more challenging. So, um, yeah, let's maybe move on to my, uh, my, my kind of new favorite, which, uh, you know, Panasonic I've been loving lately. They are, uh, probably not in third place. I imagine that's actually, it's probably Nikon in terms of sales, but still here we are. Um, I actually just, on my most recent trip, we traveled to Istanbul, Turkey, and I was almost entirely shooting the Panasonic for stills as well. So I finally have some experience with that. But uh, Chris, what was your take on the stills out of recent Panasonics? So first off, I, I do want to mention color. We've been talking about that. I, I actually find Panasonic color to be quite pleasing. Uh, I really do. And again, it's another one of those things where I don't think people really talk about it very much. They've always had great sensors. I, I don't think that's ever been an issue. The Panasonic's, uh, the design structure is very easy, absolutely, to learn. Um, I, my main complaint with them, uh, the autofocus was one thing, and I know everybody's making a really big deal about now the hybrid phase detect autofocus in the S5 II, and I think that's a great way to go. Finally, they did it. I mean, it has to be the sort of story with Panasonic when we looked last year. But at the same time, I don't feel like I have the confidence when I'm using their autofocus still. Uh, I almost still prefer to go back to just contrast detect single point because I, I, I'm, I know how that works with Panasonic and I can predict that and it is very accurate. So I haven't had great success with a hybrid phase detect autofocus. I think that's going to take just a few more cameras and a few more you know iterations before it really starts to compete with the other brands. Um, but. I think it's a step in the right direction. I like the way the bodies feel. I've never really liked their boxy look. Uh, don't tell our, our Panasonic rep. She she hates when I talk about that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's in the eye of the beholder. But, yeah, functional cameras, easy to use. 
And I do think they have good contention as being a powerful hybrid camera as well. I totally agree with you about the boxy look. I think they, they, they could use some work. You know, they, they only have, they only have a little bit more soul than the Sony's, but you know, not, not that much. Um, I, and honestly, the only, like, there's not that many cameras right now that feel like they do have it. And, uh, you know, when we get to Fuji, to me, they're the only ones uh, in the, other than like, like as in Hasselblad, other than premium cameras, they're the one, only ones that have some of that distinct personality, but we'll come back to that, uh, when we do. Um, but you know, it, 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 first touching on the autofocus, cause that was the big revolution recently. So, you know, I know we're talking about Panasonic's in general, but right now they're obviously in a era shift. They're about to switch from anything that was phase detect or sorry, anything that was contrast detect only to their new phase detect and, um, using it quite a bit now it is, um, mostly reliable. I did have some moments where it would just kind of drift for no good reason and just sit at the wrong place and ruin a shot that it does still happen. It's not at the same place that Canon or Sony are. Um, but it's, it is very usable. It's, it's not at that's, you know, I think if they hadn't done this, they wouldn't keep making cameras right now. Like they'd be out of the game if they couldn't have fixed this, you know, when they did, it was the time that this had to happen. So I'm really glad that they were able to do it. And I agree that I think that some more software, some more firmware updates will get them to the place where it's probably going to be able to be much more competitive, uh, both with Canon and, and Sony. And, and sometimes I don't notice a difference. Sometimes it responds exactly the same way. I do still have problems with my Canon R5, which people consider to be a you know fantastic autofocus camera, but it's also not perfectly reliable either. Um, you mentioned colors, agreed that they are very easy to work with. Uh, everything comes out looking really nice. Uh, you know, it's Sony sensors in there. So every, every, I mean, everything's great about the image quality. It just like really no complaints. Um, and then of course, a huge advantage to me is that as an underdog, they were able to compete on all these more niche features that are actually pretty important to me. One that I talk about all the time for video is shooting open gate. So you get a taller image out of your sensor. I'm glad that everybody seems to be talking about this now because with the rise of vertical video, the cameras, sensors should all be square. Um, so seeing something that gets closer to that, I, I really appreciate. Uh, and also just, the, you know, adding all the, especially in the video world, like adding all those little details that Jordan and I know how important they are, like shooting with shutter angle, having proper zebras, having proper waveforms and vector scopes. And the list just goes on and on about like, oh yeah, they knew that all of these things are important to us. Uh, what did I miss, Jordan? <laughs> the XLR adapter would be one I'd throw out. Um, yeah, I being able to load your own LUTs, which Sony's jumping on as well, which I find really useful. Um, yeah, it just seems like they're listening to people and they seem to have kind of dropped the idea of segmentation. When was the last time they released a cinema camera? You know, the Evo one, like seven years ago, maybe at this point. Uh, so they seem to be going all in as like hybrid cameras are where they're dumping all their video R and D and it shows. Uh, I, I think you're right. The autofocus on it, I can pretty well predict it now, but I've been using the camera for months. Um, I would still put it behind uh, Sony and Nikon at this point. Um, I'd put it above Canon because Canon, for some, it still just jumps on the background for some, for no reason. Uh, where the Panasonic will at least gradually drift to the background if it gets confused. Remind all the camera manufacturers. I just want to take a moment to to please ask, beg them, have a mode similar to what the Canon cinema cameras do that is face only. When I'm recording a roll, I never want it to focus on my hand when I'm gesturing. There's never anything in the background it needs to focus on. Stay here. 
the whole time, no matter what, if I leave frame, don't focus on the background. If I, you know, this should be on every single video camera. It is, should be the default. I know like, yeah. Okay. If you're a, a beauty blogger, you will hold, you know, products up in front of your face. That should be the alternate mode. If you're recording a role where you're talking, the default, like the primary way you should work is face only. Don't focus on human body parts. Don't look for birds back there. Just stay on me. Um, just little, little tangent there, but everybody needs to do that. Well, it's funny because on the R6 too, they added that feature to it. Uh, and then we were testing it for our video review. And that was the one time while I'm talking about like, and thankfully now it'll just stay on your face. And the second I say that it's like, oh, I'm just going to wander off in the background there for a while. Uh, so it's still not, not bulletproof. Um, I mean, honestly, no one's is just Sony's is the closest right now. Yeah. So I, I mean, overall, I'm just, I'm glad to see Panasonic is making a comeback. Like I really do think that, you know, the, the, the price and what you get for that, the thing is like the price is excellent and it's competing with the cameras that are more expensive. St I still in my mind compare it to the cameras that cost at least $500 more because it is comparable to them and you're saving money. So, uh, you know, I really, I really do think, uh, Panasonic is worth considering, um, especially for that, like kind of hybrid space where you want to be able to shoot both. They're doing great. Their lens strategy makes so much sense too, for video shooters. The only advice I would give Panasonic now is maybe take a look back, especially when we're talking about addressing their soulless, boxy kind of look and, you know, just not being very sexy cameras. They used to make some really nice compact cameras. And I feel like they could return to that, uh, especially now, you know, with, with this big change with autofocus and trying to improve things. Make some of those compact cameras that everybody knows and loves from them. I think I think there's a desire for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and I, you know who I think is doing that well is Fuji. So let's talk about them next. Um, the most uh, soulful of the camera designers out there. And to me, you know, I think the maybe this is represented in the way that the the, the uh, I'm forgetting my brand names right now. The X100 has just uh, exploded and gone, like basically become a viral sensation, I think mostly because of TikTok. And they are just not making new X100Vs anymore because they can't, they don't have enough parts to, to, to make them and sell them. So it's just been this incredible moment for them. And I think the, the way they were described that made them so viral is that they look vintage is, is how many people think of them. To me, that's not the important thing about them. It's it's much more why I think a lot of us still like a lot of mid-century design. It's that there there was an approach to design earlier in the 20th century that focused on a sort of a lasting beauty that like it doesn't need to look like it doesn't need to look futuristic. It doesn't need to look like technical. It should just be a nice object. Like it should the the curves, the choices of bezels and the material choices and like where you put the font placement of the, uh, aperture markings on the lens and like all of this matters. And if you are very considerate about those choices, it can outlast the technology inside of the camera. And they are taking some of those similar approaches in everything that they make right now, um, which even goes into the larger sensors as well. Those don't look as like vintage to me as, as the uh, you know smaller APS-C options, but um, still are absolutely beautiful. I love the uh, image colors that come out of it. Obviously, a lot of people are shooting JPEG um, and and loving that. Um, I don't know. Autofocus isn't great. What what else, Chris? Where where, where yeah, are we, auto Fuji? Autofocus, if we're going to talk technical, is one of the big terms. But I think you're onto something with the design. Like whether you love it or hate it, at least they have a distinct design. 
And, you know, you think about film cameras back in the 70s and 80s, which is where people then go to, right? You know, they're trying to mimic that look. Those cameras largely did the same thing. I mean, there wasn't much of a mechanical difference. The film was really the big part of your image quality, you know, lens designs, of course. But it was more about choosing a brand that you coveted. I mean, that's why I got into Nikon FEs and FMs. I just coveted that camera. And I loved using it. I loved holding it. I loved being seen with it. And I think that's still a factor that a lot of companies, you know, Panasonic, Sony, for example, have underappreciated. But on top of that, too, I think they did something very interesting. You know, a few years ago, the big talk in the industry was you have to go full frame, you're going to die, right? And everybody's like, oh, Micro Four Thirds is dead. APS-C is, is going to phase out. And and I think Fuji very bravely said, you know what? Let's stick with APS-C. Let's go one better, make some awesome medium format cameras. I mean, we could talk. We could do a whole podcast on how successful that whole line has been for them. But they stuck with APS-C. They were able then deliver amazing lenses and lots of them. And I think that was smart, especially now that we look at the new sensors with the X-T5, you know, I think they're doing a great job giving people what they want and not having to go to full frame to do it. And uh, I think that shows with their sales. I mean, people, you're getting a solid camera that can do many different things that looks great and that focuses. Yeah, okay. The Fuji is really the only camera that I will shoot colors straight out of camera that I'll do a non-log mm -hmm. profile and actually use it because... Uh, they're doing some of that interesting tone mapping stuff. Um, I, they've got a powerhouse for video with the uh, XH2S. I don't know, like it, it, f until Panasonic <laughs> released the uh, S5 II, <laughs> Fuji was about to be my new favorite for the the compact video cameras. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I totally agree. Like the XH2S image is one of my favorite out of any format of camera. Uh, you know, even comparing it to full frame, especially in terms of dynamic range, it keeps up really nicely. Um, and in terms of features, they're another com company that is listening to us. You know, we're starting to see, uh, you know, they were the first ones to actually let us do a 48th of a second or 96th of a second shutter speed and things like that, that we were asking. Still not shutter angles, still not waveforms. You know, we'll see those hopefully in the future. But my big concern with their recent launch is a lot of these cameras, um, you know, just haven't felt completely finished. You know, uh, I don't know if you had issues with like hard crashes on them. Um, we definitely ran into those even with production models, things like the punch in focus not being as sharp as it was previously. Um, so I kind of want Fujifilm to go back to what they were. They were the country who, country? The company who was known for giving you. You really I like do. the brand. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I they were known for giving you like initially flaky products, but then they would firmware update the hell out of them until they were like super competitive. They've kind of stepped away from that because the cameras shipped really nicely. I'd like to see them get back into that with them because they have the base hardware to make absolutely some of the nicest cameras out there. I just don't 100% trust them at this point. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have any of those big issues, um, but there is... I, I guess now that you mention it, there's just some little weirdness. It, I didn't have like uh, existential crashes, but uh, yeah, there, there's there a few things that could be worked out. But you know, I also just want to take a moment to appreciate their usability. Like the physic, the, the physicality of the cameras is my absolute favorite. Like where the dials are, what they're labeled, it is so clear what you're getting into as you start to operate it. And I, I just I love that about Fuji's. Um, you know what else I like on that topic, Tyler? I want to add is like the the XS series of cameras. I really appreciate that they made a series of camera that then kind of depart from that. So if you don't love the the manual dial control, which a lot of people do, but if, if you want an alternative, they're offering that. 
where they could have just been like, this is the way you go. This is the style of camera, take it or leave it. And, and actually I prefer the handling of the XS myself just because, you know, everybody wants different, different controls. I like that they're being brave like that. Yeah, no, I, I just like the way they're running the company. Everything, everything is interesting right now. Um, and they're also leading the pack in some ways when it comes to video, they're doing that, uh, frame IO integration. It was just them and, uh, red that could do this, you know, upload, like shoot straight to the cloud, which is pretty amazing. I haven't worked with it yet, but amazing that it is even possible. So, um, yeah, kudos to Fuji for like, you know, le leading from behind almost from a, you know, a position of being a smaller company, they are still showing real strength and leadership. And so I absolutely appreciate that. We got to talk about Nikon too, which I'll, I will have the least to say about, cause I have not used a Nikon since the film days. <laughs> so, um, and it's not cause I don't like them. Uh, I've said this before, but it's mostly that their features overlap so directly with Canon that I just didn't feel compelled to, but obviously you guys have spent time with them. Um, how do you describe Nikon's current position? It's, it's a strange one. I feel like of all the brands, as much as I appreciate using them, we've used them quite a bit. There's something about the cameras when I pick them up that it doesn't quite spark for me. You know, and I don't know if that's just because we haven't seen a change from the Z6, Z7 in a while. Obviously, we have second versions, but we're not seeing new bodies. Uh, the one that really, of course, sparked my interest was the ZFC. I absolutely hope that of all rumors that are true, a full-frame ZFC now being rumored is, is going to happen because that I would definitely get on board with. But, I mean, they're functional. They work well. Um, I like that they're starting to make some changes that I've complained about, like things like autofocus box color selection. I still I feel they handle well. The autofocus has been improving lately. It's still not quite there for me, but I think it's very reliable for most users. And I have no complaints about image quality. I just want to see, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about the brand. It just doesn't quite grab me. I still prefer using a Canon body. And I think that Nikon and Canon still seem to have this rivalry where they just compete against each other. And I, I think Nikon can set their sights a little bit higher. But excellent lenses. I, I love the new glass. I think they're doing a great job there. I think there's really going to be a reappraisal of Nikon very shortly because they brought out so many amazing upgrades to the Z9, which I would almost consider separate from any of the other Nikon bodies there, but it's a pro flagship body most people are never going to get their hands on. Once we start to see things like the improved autofocus, um, you know, that very fast readout work its way into other Nikon cameras, then people might actually be a lot more excited about the brand again. I remember years ago, they brought out the D3, which everybody's like, oh, this is the best DSLR ever made. Uh, very few can use it. Then six months later brought out the D700, which was most of the good stuff in a consumer body. And Nikon went, I'm sure you remember Tyler, where like everyone was like, no, Canon's way in the lead. Canon's the way to go with digital to like, oh no, Nikon is like right there competitive in some ways even better. And I think that really rolls through to video as well. Uh, like I would not use a Nikon previously to shoot video. I could, if I owned a Nikon, you could get usable video, but I never choose one until the Z9. And then it has the best autofocus interface. Maybe the hit rate isn't quite as good as Sony, but I like using it a lot more than a Sony. Really good stabilization for video. You know, it's doing things like 8K recording right to card, internal raw recording, which we didn't even think they could do because Red's in a lawsuit with them right now over that capability. Uh, just things we would not expect from Nikon. 
so if we do see that in a more consumer-oriented body, I could see people being like, I am buying a Nikon for video. And once they start expanding that user base, then I think it's, it's going to be very similar to what we saw before with the D3, D700 example. Suddenly, it's a really good legitimate choice that's just as capable as a, you know, a Canon or a Sony. We just have to wait for cheap cameras with the good stuff. I, I did a little survey on Twitter a while ago, just asking what people think of as the professional camera brands, especially normal non-photo enthusiasts, people that don't pay attention to the camera industry. And there's still so many people out there that think of Nikon as like, it's Canon and Nikon. Those are the pro cameras. And it's because people take a long time to shift their mental models. And, uh, you know, I don't think the wider public has realized how dominant Sony's become, how serious they are. Um, so Nikon still is holding on to a lot of like brand value that could help them come back in a way that I don't know. I, I hope they do, even though, even though I probably won't switch to using one. Um, do you think it's worth talking about any other brands here? Like uh, obviously more exist, but who else should we touch on? <laughs> OM system. <Yeah. laughs> Did you yeah, know I was going to say that? Loves his OM. I know some people do. Yeah. You know, that was my first film camera actually. But. <laughs> well, you know, I never really liked uh, the Olympus brand up until up until more recently, you know, with um with the computational photography techniques that they started to use. And I'm I'm still surprised that other companies aren't jumping on that the way that they have. I think they've got something quite unique there. But it's another example of a camera where as a creator there's more important things than maybe raw image quality. Although I do like their color. I actually think Olympus have some of the best colors straight out of camera of any brand personally and OM system for that matter but certainly just having a, a camera that's rugged that's reliable that has compact lenses so for outdoor pursuits for travel I think they've got very good strengths there the sorry the fact that you can leave a tripod at home in a lot of cases that to me are some serious advantages that transcend just technological specs or sensor quality or resolution and that kind of stuff video wise you know, I use them primarily as video cameras and as hybrid cameras, and the video quality isn't up to snuff. With I'm with on an OM5 no right now, so you be the judge. Oh, yeah. See, that's my point. That proves my point. So, you know, maybe you know, I mean, they do have soft video in a lot of cases, and and you have to shoot in very specific ways to get usable video, depending on what your output is. You know, if your output is 1080 or on on Instagram, you know, that kind of stuff. I think it's fantastic. And it outweighs the the downside with the image quality to have the physical benefits of the system itself. I mean, they are super bulletproof. I love the lens choices, lots of compact options, easy to carry. And when we're fishing, for example, I need a camera that can have one lens, maybe two, cover a whole bunch of stuff, be able to fall riverside and take it. I drove a truck over the, the M1 Mark III and it survived, right? I mean, like, that's pretty crazy. So... I, I do like that for the brand. And I think for videography, if it was hardcore use for video work, like Jordan would use, then of course you might not love it. And of course, I mean, we could talk about more upmarket cameras if we have had time. There's, you know, Leica and Hasselblad and Red and Alexa and all that. But, you know, I think we'll kind of contain it to a certain price range for today. Um, but I also want to make sure that we have one moment of kind of uh, summing up like, where are we with lenses? Cause uh, we've talked a lot about the camera bodies touched on the lenses, but the lens selection is super important for which camera you're going to actually choose. Um, I'll, I'll just go first that I think 
it, it's frustrated me that both Sony and Canon have gone so expensive for the professional lenses. It's, it's becoming difficult to own more than one for normal people. I mean, that, you know, they went up by like a thousand dollars for, for just kind of their, if you want to get that sort of Trinity of like ultra wide, uh, normal and, and, uh, telephoto zooms, the, I, you're spending thousands more to get all three of them. Um, and the quality has gone up as well. They are much better, but they're also bigger. So it's not, uh, I don't know. We're in a little bit of a weird place for them specifically. Um, Sony definitely wins in terms of variety. There's like a, a million of them to choose from and they do have some more affordable ones. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Pent uh, Panasonic has, I, I mean, I, I love what Panasonic did with their, you know, all being basically the same size. They don't breathe, so they don't need software to fix the breathing internally. Uh, they are sharp enough. They're 1.8, which is like pretty darn fast instead of, you know, I prefer them. I like that they're all the same speed instead of some are 1.4 and some are 2.0. Everything is just the same. Like that took, uh, you know, some design courage, like they had to commit to a concept and follow it all the way through. Um, now they just need a, a bit more variety as well. I think, you know, that L alliance of, of lenses is really interesting and could be great, but there needs to be a little bit more selection. Fuji. I'm actually not loving the Fuji lenses. The more I've tried them, the more of them that I'm like, they're too inconsistent. I never know what I'm going to get. Um, and I don't know. Those are, those are all the ones I've used lately. Uh, was I right or wrong? I mean, the one thing I'd say about Sony would be the 20 to 70 is a good exception to what you're saying. Because absolutely, the new lenses are expensive, but the 20 to 70 is unique. F4 is fine for a lot of people. I loved it. I thought... I love that 20 to 70. Yeah, I've actually been using the Panasonic 20 to 60 a lot, which is a little worse because it's 3.5 right. to 5.6. But that's 20 is so useful. Oh, yeah. So I love that Sony did that. Especially with Sony relying a lot on cropping for a lot of their functions, you know, I think then that helps to, to mitigate that issue. But yeah, it's sharp, uh, it's decent, and any downsides it has are being intelligently corrected by the camera afterwards, right? So it's a good example of, I think, where we're gonna start to see lens design really start to push towards. Well, I think you brought up something interesting there, Tyler, where you're talking about like Canon and Sony really bringing up the prices of the lens. But with Sony, you've got endless third-party options, you know, same as you brought up, like the Sigma L-mount. If you want sharper lenses, those Sigmas are insanely sharp. They're just not as well optimized for video. You've got choice there. It's Canon who, you know, it's been harped on endlessly. They're putting themselves in a really tough place, especially now that Nikon seems to be opening up the Z-mount to third-party development. So uh, they're the last country. I did it again. Uh, last <laughs> All these countries. countries. I know. Uh do you want to have a, a debate about the global, global socioeconomic I'm just going to do Japan versus Germany, I guess, because those are the only <laughs> countries making cameras. But um, I, I think that's a really huge thing. I mean, some of our favorite lens, like lens of the year was a Tamron very recently. Um, I, I think they got to open that up. Uh, so hopefully we start seeing things that way as well. I just want to say ultra wide to normal zooms are the future. I'm getting shot on a 10 to 25 Panasonic right now. It's better. Um, OM system brought out an eight to 25, which is a 16 to 50 zoom lens. That's awesome. Uh, so I hope we see a lot more of that stuff going forward. Cool. Um, okay. Now, how about a quick, let's just do a lightning round, like uh, the thought association with, you know, when I say a camera brand, what, what do you think about it? So Let's start with Canon. Like what, what's the first, the quickest way you'd summarize where Canon is right now? Great intuitive handling. Annoying. 
<laughs> okay, Sony. Technological leaders. Cutting edge. Panasonic. Video. First Jordan. <laughs> uh, hey, video. Yeah, that's true. I, I agree with that. Uh, how about Fuji? Great design needs improvement. Listening. And how about Nikon? We need trickle down. We need we need technology to trickle down. They need to they need to. Nikon is will see. That's what I would yeah. say. That all the potential's there. We'll see, they just yeah. have to put it in cheap cameras. Cool. Well, uh, I mean, I think we covered a lot there. I, I think everybody now knows exactly which brand is right for them, and it's going to be easy to go out and buy their next camera. So. We did it. The, thanks, guys, for solving all these problems. Uh, I mean, you know, now that there's no DP review around, uh, I guess that that 20 minute discussion will have to be as as deep as anybody will get anymore. Uh, or, of course, they could subscribe to the Petapixel YouTube channel, where they can find Jordan and Chris yeah, carrying on that. with their antics. And, guys, I, it's great to see you again, and uh, can't wait to watch the new videos. Mm-hmm.